Good morning, everybody. It's really good to see as much of you as I can see. You have wonderful eyes. Um, during this time of lockdown, I've had the opportunity to, to share devotions on the church's social media platforms and also to, to write daily devotions for my school um, through the term time of lockdown. And that's been a great privilege. Sometimes it's been a great challenge, but it's been a great privilege. And I've had as a constant theme running through that, I think because of the times we're in, encouragement and, and a concept of the great love that God has for us. So two weeks ago, as Ed mentioned when he preached, um, I did a devotion about John 3.16, just trying to remind us of the intensity of God's love for us, that because he loved us so much, he was prepared to let Jesus be subjected to all that he was and to override his parental instincts to look after his child that we all have and for our sake to let him suffer and to let him go through with that suffering so that we could be saved. And then as, as Ed also mentioned, in a wonderful devotion, which if you haven't listened to it yet on Instagram or, so, or any of the other platforms, uh, Dirk Muller shared beautifully from 1 Peter 3 and from verse 18 about the fact that Christ suffered once for our sins, uh, for the righteous, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. And he spoke about what that bringing us to God meant. And it, it, it means that we've been brought to God in righteousness of Jesus Christ. When God looks at us, and he used this term, and I thought it was wonderful, God looks at us with the affection that he holds Jesus in. With the affection. God's love for us is the same as he has for Jesus Christ, and we have righteousness through that. And that's an incredibly wonderful thing for us to realize, because we don't always feel so great about ourselves, but God feels great about us all the time. Um, I wanted to also remind you this morning of the nature of the love that God holds us in and the nature of the love that's being spoken about here because it's not just an emotion, but it is an emotion. I love the fact that God's love is emotional. He, he loves us with feeling. God is not an emotionist. God doesn't float above emotions. The Bible refers in a number of places of the emotions that God feels, of grief that he feels, of joy that he feels. And I love one verse which I refer to quite a lot in the book of Zephaniah. Chapter 3, verse 17, it says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. And when you look into the Greek, that, sorry, the Hebrew, it actually means that God dances over us with joy. God's emotion... His love is emotional, but it's not just emotional because God's love is also described in 1 Corinthians 13 and from uh, chapter 4, and it, it says this about the love of God. That love is patient, it is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, it doesn't delight in evil but rejoices in the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and it never fails. That's the love of God. It's, it is an emotional love. God does love us as a father. But he loves us with a, with, a, with a love that is a powerful force that God unleashes in our lives, and that can flow through us as well. And this is the encouragement that I have felt led to, 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 to bring over the last months. But there's more to the love of God that we need to understand and to our relationship with Him. And I want to look at a different side of that this morning because there is a style of evangelism at the moment that is almost akin to telemarketing. I don't know if you, for various reasons, have found yourself awake late at night and in front of the television trying to fall asleep and you've tuned into the telemarketing channels. Um, they have a certain format 
in which they present things that you will recognize. And there is a form of evangelism and, and a form of the description of God's love and relationship with us that comes very close to telemarketing. It goes a bit like this. Accept Christ today and you will receive salvation, eternal life, and the righteousness of Christ. But wait, that's not all. If you accept Christ today, you will also receive exemption from challenges and suffering. Along with that, you will be sent financial wealth and protection from making bad decisions. Everyone will see your value. You will receive access to our manual with many helpful recipes for daily success. All you need to do is pray these simple prayers each day and your life will be stress and challenge free. No longer will you face trials or sadness or feel unhappy or afraid. Your life will be perfect. Sounds great, doesn't it? And you can buy that in one easy installment. And it sounds wonderful. And you know, I've been a bit facetious in the way that I presented this, but there is, a, there is a style of evangelism that leads people to think that because of who Christ is and because He loves us and because He's all-powerful, that if I take Him into my life, the challenge will disappear. And it's a dangerous place for us to place people, and it's a dangerous place for people to be, because when you have that kind of mindset, even if it's somewhere in the subconscious of your mind, when life happens, where do you go? The Queen, some years ago in her speech that she makes at Christmas time, had come through a, a very, very trying year, which she referred to as an annus horribilis. It was a horrible year. I think for many people, the last 12 months have been something of an annus horribilis. And I know that you've all been through your individual challenges, but for me it's been something of an annus horribilis, and I'll make myself vulnerable by sharing a bit with you. It started about 12 months ago when I came to the realization that it was time for me to begin to wind down and step down as the headmaster of the school that I've been head of for 21 years. For my own sake, because I was beginning to burn out, and for the sake of the school, because the nature of the job has changed since I took it on 21 years ago, and it's time for the school to have a more dynamic and younger and more energetic person with a different style to take over. And so it's been a good decision, and in two weeks I'm, I'm officially still the head of the school, but in two weeks' time that comes to an end and I become a part-time teacher at the school. And that's been a good decision, but it's not been easy because for 21 years I've been the head of the King's School in Harpenden. And my sense of worth and my sense of identity, without trying to make it, that has become entwined with that. I get introduced, hello, this is Clive, he's the head of the King's School. And somehow it's, it's hard to release myself from feeling that my worth lies in what I can do for the school. You may struggle with the same things. And so it was a challenge for me when I began to, when I decided and, and the decision was made and we began to negotiate about how that would happen. It's been a challenge. I, I struggled with the concept. Some people go into, uh, into retirement very easily. My father said to me sometime after he retired that if he'd known how good it was, he would never have started working in the first place. <laughs> but I don't feel that way. I have been a headmaster for a total, I think, 27 years. 25 consecutive years with the five years of the school, 26 with the previous school in this one. And it's become part of my identity, and it's going to be hard not to be in charge, especially since I'm going to go back and work for my successor in a part-time capacity. And I've had to come to terms with that, and I didn't enjoy it. I haven't enjoyed the process. But as I began to get my speed going again and my rhythm back together again, coronavirus arrived. And that's been a real joy to educators. It's been a real joy to us because we've had to close down our schools but keep our schools open. 
We've had to devise ways to meet the needs of our pupils and also to be seen to meet the needs of our pupils in the eyes of their parents, some of whom wrote to me and said we are giving them too much to do, some of whom wrote to me and said we're not giving them enough to do, some of them who wrote to me passionately and said as Christians we should be back at school, and some of them who wrote to me passionately and said as Christians we should not be back at school. It's been a joy. <laughs> it really has. And as I began to come to terms with that, I fell into a situation in which I suffered an irreconcilable and total breakdown in relationship with my gallbladder. Um, just before Easter, uh, it decided to, to try and hurt me as badly as it could. It uh, blocked, the, the, the bile duct became blocked by stone, infection built up behind that, the bladder began to distend, and I landed up in hospital. And if I put this in the English stoical way, it was jolly sore and I was jolly uncomfortable. And then they stuck a, a drain through the side of my chest, through the liver, into the gallbladder to drain the bile out. And then I had a, a wonderful six weeks and he tried to walk around with a tube sticking out of my chest and a plastic bag with dripping bile in it strapped to my leg. It, was, it wasn't fun. And then there was a greater horror awaiting me because I had a meeting with a dietitian. <laughs> and was placed on a diet, the basic premise of which was if it tastes good, and if you really like it, and if it's a staple, you can't have it. <laughs> and I became subject to chicken and fish. And no coffee, and no cheese, and no red meat, and no fat at all. And it has taken a stone and a half off me, which I'm grateful for, but it's not the best lifestyle to make you feel encouraged. That happened to me. How was your year? <laughs> now, if my perception of my relationship with God was based on the fact that if I accept him into my life, I will receive complete peace, complete health, and perfect life, where is my relationship now? And you may think, but none of us feel that way. I personally have a dear friend who went through a terrible time in his life some years ago in which his marriage and his job and a whole bunch of things fell apart. And his grounding in his faith had been in a church which taught if you pray well and you live well, God will always bless you. Therefore, if it's not going well, it's your fault. And if you think that a life in Christ is without challenge and only the good things, then when it doesn't happen that way, one of two things must have happened. God must have failed or you've done something wrong. So it's either disappointment or guilt that then accompanies you into the challenge that you're facing as well. And that's not the greatest place to be. The blessing in my life has not been that it's been challenge-free, and I imagine that's the same in your life. It's rather that in those challenges and in those things that have come into our life in this fairly horribus annus that has taken place over the last 12 months, we have had that place shared by an almighty God who really, really cares, who sees us with the affection that he sees Jesus, who loves us to the extent that he's prepared to sacrifice his son for us, and therefore has never for one moment stepped out of the situation that we're in, and has been with us to guide us through all that could be. For me, it manifests in him making me aware through his word that my value didn't lie in being the headmaster of the King's School in Harpen, and my value lay in being a child of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's never going to change. No matter what I land up doing in terms of my title or my position or my importance in making things happen, 
I'm always going to be bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, always going to be saved by his grace, always going to be precious to him in Jesus Christ. In the coronavirus, you know, I don't know how people are surviving this without Jesus. I don't, because I have an eternal hope. You know, some time ago, Andrew Ollerton visited, and he reminded us of what our hope was in Christ, and he used that wonderful scripture, Hebrews 6, verse 19, which says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. He says that our hope is not just, I, 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 I wish it would go well. Our hope is that Christ has already achieved our salvation. Christ has already seated himself in glory, and I am tied to him because I've given my life to him, and therefore the anchor of my rope that I'm holding on to is already in glory. It's already behind the veil. It's already in the sanctuary where Christ is seated. And I'm going there one way or the other to achieve all that God has planned for me and, and to have all that he's purposed for me. That's going to happen through Jesus, and that's an eternal hope that I have, coronavirus, whatever. Whether I cruise through coronavirus with never having a cough or whether and I pray, God, this is not my, my destiny, but whether I die from it, it doesn't change my eternal hope. Amen. That has already been anchored in glory through Jesus Christ. And with regard to my escapades with my faithless gallbladder, which, by the way, two weeks ago a wonderful surgeon took out, delved into my innards and extracted it, and it's gone very, very well, and I've been able to have coffee again, and I've been able to have cheese again, and life is wonderful. Um, <laughs> I'm going back to telemarketing. Um, but in that situation, it wasn't that I never went through that challenge, but it was God put great people there to look after me. I've become a huge fan of the NHS. They were amazing from start to finish. In the middle of all their troubles that they had with the virus, they're still picking up the people in, 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 in my situation and making you feel like they really, really, really care about you. And God provided people at critical times in critical places to make things happen. And I've been very sore, but very blessed. And I've come through it. And because I've come through it, another level of experience has been added to my life. Would I prefer to not have that? Absolutely. But now that I have it, a new experience has been there, and a new development in my faith has been able to take place. And so I want to encourage you that when these things come along, it's not because you've done something wrong necessarily, although in my case I think the gallbladder had something to do with the fact for, for years I abused it with as much fat as I could and as much cholesterol as I could probably have to carry some accountability for that. Well, we live in an imperfect, broken world which sin is damaged. And in that, there's illness and disease and natural disaster and all sorts of things, and they happen. And when they happen, it's not necessarily somebody's fault. It's not because God has failed. It's because we live in that world, and we're not in heaven yet. So don't be discouraged and turn away from God as my dear friend who went through his challenges did. Instead of turning away when things didn't go as he'd been led to expect they would, he turned towards God. I don't know how people are living without Jesus at this time, and I want to encourage you, get closer, draw in. The Apostle Paul talks about, well, the, uh, James, the brother of Jesus, first writes this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You know, when I landed up in hospital feeling jolly sore, I didn't know what to ask God for. I didn't know what was going on. Frankly, I became a fan of something called morphine, and I genuinely didn't know what was going on for a lot of the time. 
because I got it as often they would give it to me. But I had one sustaining prayer that went through my mind every time I prayed. I kept saying, God, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. That's the desire of my life. What happens along the way? Well, God will give me the strength to deal with that, and he will give you the strength to deal with it. But the greatest thing for your life, the greatest plan for your life, is that God's will is done and God's kingdom comes in your life. And that's something which he does. You don't have to do it. So I want to encourage you at this time. It gets, it gets kind of boring carrying on with this corona thing. It just doesn't want to seem to go away. And no matter what we say and how much we jump up and down, it comes along. And sometimes you do have those days. You say, okay, Lord, we've got the point now, but when's it going to stop? And I don't know. I don't have an explanation for every bad thing that happens. I don't have the answer for every bad thing that happens. These things do happen. And they happen to the best of people. And referred a little while ago, and look at the Scripture again, 2 Corinthians 11. Paul's talking about things that happened to him. You think you've had an anisereblis? He said, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day on the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my fellow Jews, danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, and danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. Probably watch telemarketing. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of concern for all the churches. That's not telemarketing Christianity. But Paul stands in that confidence of who he is in Christ and that eternal hope that's already been placed in glory. And he says this in 2 Timothy, I fought the good fight, finished the race, I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. That is my hope in glory. What happens here, God will sustain me through. But the prayer of my life, and I would encourage you to think about this, Lord, let your will be done and let your kingdom come. In this imperfect, broken world that we live in, God is not caught unawares. Coronavirus didn't catch him unawares. He's not pacing the floor at night saying, what do I do about this? He's still on his throne and he's still the Lord of my life. And the most powerful thing I can do is say, Lord, I don't have the solution. I can't bring you a cut and dried thing and ask for your blessing, but I'm coming to you and saying, here I am. Let your will be done and let your kingdom come. My hope is eternally in you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we have a relationship with you as a person and as a father, not with a concept or a marketing ploy. Thank you for your interventions in our lives for good. Thank you that you do heal us. Thank you that you do lift us up, that you do provide for us every day. Thank you that you bring us into joy and happiness and that you bring us through sadness and sorrow and pain. Thank you that you never leave us. And Lord, I pray for each person here and those who are listening on the online broadcasts that you'll bring an encouragement to each of us to not just look at our circumstances but to look at the promises of your word and have the confidence that as we pray that your will is done and your kingdom comes that you will fulfill your purpose for our lives in spite of whatever may come our way. We thank you for the sure promise of that and the hope that we have in that. And we give you all the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Bless you.